Good morning, y'all. Merry early Christmas. Y'all surviving? How's the shopping going? <clears throat> Some of you don't need to respond. <laughs> well, um, grace to you if you have a lot of shopping to do left. Uh, thank the Lord for Amazon. Um, well, I don't know about you, but as we come to the end of 2021, I'm tired of bad news. Anyone else tired of bad news? <clears throat> like you're just done with bad news. You think of that last time you heard some bad news, that sinking feeling in your gut, that anxiety that can kind of start to come over your body, that you just feel out of control, right? Life is full of bad news, especially this last couple years. We've had plenty of bad news, right? We kind of think life is maybe headed to normalcy and then Omicron, right, comes along. Um, I'm tired of bad news. Now, I want you to think of a time now when you got good news. You get good news and all of a sudden you start to feel a little light, right? You, you kind of hold back, cracking a smile in the middle of a meeting or something like that because you were distracted by good news on your phone or whatever. Um, you're happy. Your outlook on things changes, right? We, we love good news. In fact, um, one of the reasons that, that uh, actually scientists say that our, our body gets a dopamine hit when we get a text, you hear that little ding, or when you get a notification on your phone, one of the reasons we like that is because the possibility of good news being at hand, right? Um, we not only love good news, we actually need good news. Uh, at the beginning of the, ta the pandemic, John Krasinski, who played Jim Halpert in the office, here you are, Jim, we salute you today, Jim. Uh, <laughs> toward the beginning of the pandemic, he started this little podcast or this thing called Some Good News. And basically every day he put out Some Good good news. And it took off. People loved some good news, not only because they were maybe diehard office people sometime today, but they loved getting some good news in their inbox every day. Why did it take off? You see, because the human soul craves good news. Good news is not just something that we love, it's something that we actually need to survive. That's what the story of Christmas is about. It's a story of good news coming from heaven to earth to save mankind. More than the feels we get when we see Christmas lights or when we get and, get, get and give gifts, more than the joy that we have when we get off work, amen, right? More than the visions of sugar plums that all of you have right now dancing in your heads. Uh, I know you're all excited for your sugar plums this Christmas. The story of good news is, is God coming to earth. And today, I want to load you up with good news. You guys up for that? And I want to answer these handful of questions today throughout this message. Um, what is the good news? Who is the good news for what does the good news produce in us? Why do we resist the good news on a heart level? And how can we respond or receive 
the fullness of this good news. And I want to share from a familiar Bible story, and it may be familiar for some of you because you are Charlie Brown Christmas kind of people. Any Charlie Brown Christmas people out there? All right, it's a good time. Maybe a family tradition for some of you. And if you've seen that, you maybe remember that famous line where Charlie Brown says, is there anyone, maybe say it with me, is there anyone who really knows or what, who knows what Christmas is really all about? Sorry, I flubbed it. Um, and then Linus responds and says, I can tell you what Chris is all about. And then he goes on to read Luke chapter 2, right? We went to the uh, Snoopy on Ice down at Osbury Farm this week. They did this whole thing. It was a good time. Uh, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be in that same passage, right? Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8, okay? Sorry, I cannot quite read it like Linus. Um, I need a little blanket up here or something. But, all right, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and just so you know what just happened, it talked about in verse 7, she gave birth to the firstborn son. They, they had Jesus in a manger. There's no place at the inn. Pick it up in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. I love this story. It doesn't get old. It's it's classic. But, you know, I think central to understanding the fullness and what's really happening in this text is understanding the societal place or role that shepherds had at that time. Now, in biblical history, in the days of the, the patriarchs or, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, in the book of Genesis, shepherds were seen very highly. <clears throat> they were some of the top people in society. They often had very great wealth. But then when Israel had to flee to Egypt, um, the role of shepherds diminished. Egypt was more of an agricultural society, and so shepherds became a lot more unnecessary and not thought of very highly. In fact, throughout the prophetic texts, shepherds are often seen very lowly or used um, kind of in uh, in a lowly allegorical sense. 
Amos himself contrasts the high role of prophet to his previous role as a shepherd. In fact, really beyond that, one of the main ways in the Old Testament that we really see shepherds, one of the only ways that we see it highly is David's Psalm 23, when he's talking about God being a shepherd. So shepherds, thought most of Scripture were seen as more of a lowly role. So at the time that Jesus was born, they had a very poor reputation. They were often known as thieves. In fact, commentator Dr. Uh, Joachim Jeremiah said to buy wool, milk, or sheep from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. They were considered unreliable and not able to give testimony in the court of law. In fact, the term that the Pharisees used, uh, the term for them uh, by the Pharisees translated in English is sinners. In fact, in the Mishnah, uh, Judaism's written, oral rec- uh, written record of the oral law, it says that they were incompetent and that no one should feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. So people did not like Shepherds. They were seen very lowly. In fact, scholars say they were societally on the same level as tax collectors and prostitutes. So I want you to stop and think for a minute the fact that the first people to hear of the good news were shepherds. Think for a second. You got a big party to throw. You're going to do your, you know, your baby gender reveal. You're going to blow up balloons and, you know, have some colors flying around, start some fires or whatever. No. Uh, You're going to do your baby reveal or whatever. I'm just kidding, y'all. You got your big party. You got news to give out, whatever. Uh, And you're like, okay, who's going to be in the invite list? Eh, Family. Best friend, eh, college roommates, you know, church people. Eh. Hey, can you give me the name of the local prostitute? Let's, uh, let's invite them. And how about some of the, those despised people that take your money, right? And are, you know, how about, okay, bring, bring the drunks, bring the, bring the prostitutes in. I want them to be the first to hear about my good news. Like, like we wouldn't do that, right? That, that would be like, like awkward at best, right? And that's what God chose to do. Now, it wasn't that it wasn't for everyone, but I think it's amazing that he chose to give out the party invites first to the lowest of the low of people that were seen as sinners. That's amazing. That's the nature of God. That's the nature of our kingdom. So, so what is this good news? I want to look back at verse 11. It says this. It says this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Some translations say he is the Messiah. The good news is that the Savior of the world is here. The Savior who became man to save mankind, he's here. And so the message of Jesus is a message of grace. Here's what that word grace means, God's favor towards the unworthy. I think we see that very clearly illustrated by the fact that he chose first to share with shepherds of God's favor towards the unworthy. Now, grace is different from mercy. They're both good and they're both included in the good news of Jesus. Mercy 
is not getting what we deserve, but grace is getting what we don't deserve. We get both of them in Jesus. We deserve judgment. We don't, you know, we deserve, right, to be separated from God. We don't deserve good. So, so God gives us mercy in forgiving us of our sin and clearing us, but it doesn't stop there. He gives us grace. He gives us goodness. He gives us a kingdom. He gives us what we don't deserve. To illustrate this, you ever get that, um, those calls that you want to cruise? Anyone? Am I the only one? I mean, come on, people. Uh, <laughs> Caleb gets calls he wants to cruise. I'm with you, Caleb. You're awesome. I, I get them. I went cruises all week long, y'all. Like, it's a big deal. No, I, I get calls all the time, but, but grace would be you're sitting in work, you got a stinky attitude, you're doing mediocre at best in your job, and you get one of those calls and it's real. And like, like you're not a good employee, you kind of stink, right? Uh, you know, they're, they're wondering if, you're, if you need to stay in your job. You get a call and then you're on your cruise in flip-flops, you know, getting a suntan, or if you're an Alaskan cruise kind of person in your parka, you know, freezing, looking at snow, and thinking, what I do to deserve this? That's grace, right? <laughs> that is, that's a picture of grace. I love what A.W. tells you. He said, grace is a good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. You see, in God's kingdom, the good news doesn't just get us out of the debt of our sin. It gets us into the black. It gets us, it, it fills our, ba- our spiritual bank account. It fills our emotional bank account. You see, God doesn't just forgive our sins. He gives us a kingdom. I think you can be captured while Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said this, Do not be afraid, a little flock, for it has pleased the Father to give you the kingdom. Like, which of you, if someone comes and, like, wants to kill one of your kids, you know what I mean? Like, you'd be like, oh, like, let me give you my kingdom. Like, let me share this with you. Like, like that's, that's grace. Now, who is this good news of grace for? Before I answer that question, you see, as, as human beings, we have a way that we, in our culture, we like to, to give grace. Um. In fact, we, we, we love to give grace and even completely overlook the faults of certain people as long as they're one of us. As long as we think they deserve it. Like, like we'll, we'll overlook the faults in our own political party. We'll overlook people being jerks because they think like us, Right? We love to give grace as long as people think like us. But if they don't think like us or what they believe doesn't make any sense to us at all, or we think, how could you? We think, no, 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 you don't deserve grace. You're an idiot. That's what you are. You're an idiot. You don't deserve grace, right? But but praise God that he is not like that. Let's look at verse 10. It says, is Good news of great joy for who? All people. Now that's good news. It's good news of great joy for all 
people. You see, God's grace is for those who we think deserve it, but God's grace is also for those who we think don't deserve it. Let me say it again in 2021. God's grace is for those who we think deserve it, and God's grace is also for those who we think don't deserve it. God's grace is for Trump voters. God's grace is for Biden voters. God's grace is for Bernie voters. God's grace is for maskers, for non-maskers, for vaxxers, for anti-vaxxers. God's grace is for all people. You see, and if, if we believe and if we've encountered this radical message of grace because we were all completely undeserving, but yet our social media accounts or our relationships sound like us parroting one side or the other of just repeating just judgment and spewing things that we actually haven't even thought of and use our brains or our heart to engage, I think we've missed the nature of grace. You see, by the nature of grace is completely messy and offensive. And like I'm not saying that we don't hold our own convictions and like aren't politically active, like very much so. You know, like I've thought about if I wasn't a pastor going to politics myself. Like, like let's, let's be engaged, but how we carry truth ought to be fundamentally different because the good news is fundamentally different from the culture we live in. You see, grace is messy and offensive, like that God would give grace to those people we think don't deserve it, that them, right? And if we wanna see hope in this world and be the people of hope in this world, like if you're a believer, you are the people of hope. If we wanna be those people and see it, we need good news that crosses political lines, racial lines, cultural lines, ethnic lines, and we need to be people whose hearts reflect generosity to people that we can't stand. Because you see, grace is for those that deserve it, but also people we don't think deserve, and guess what, that includes us. Because the reality is none of us, you or I, did not work or earn our way or believe or vote correctly enough to earn God's grace. We are all people in need of grace. And I want to say, yeah, God sees you in your sin struggle. And God sees you in your shame. And God sees you in your doubts and your failure and your issues. And God sees your past. And guess what? He wants grace to cut through that like a knife and touch the deepest, deepest places of your heart. That's who our God is. Like, <laughs> he's a God who would come out of the comforts of heaven, become mankind, and die on a cross so that he could give us stuff. He would give us grace. If you've ever seen someone dumpster diving or had to dumpster dive yourself, you, you have that feeling of like, oh, like you feel bad and you're like, what, what could they see is valuable in there enough for them to like dive into that mess to like try and find something good there, right? Like, like how, could they, how could they do that? That doesn't even compare with God coming out of heaven and diving into the mess of this world. 
He became man. He suffered like we suffer. He was a baby. God was a baby, right? Like, that's crazy. And then he suffered what we suffered. He, he was rejected like we were. He lived life as a single. He was mistreated. He was misunderstood. He was beaten. He was spit on. And he was put to death for sins that he didn't commit, but rather for our sins. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating the power of death. That's our God. That's what we celebrate this Christmas. You see, God paid everything to take the trash in our lives and the trash of this world and make it in a treasure. And so I don't know if you've given Jesus your trash a thousand times or if you've never done that today, but Jesus wants to take the things that feel like trash and garbage and sin and brokenness and those places in you you can't stand about yourself and that others can't stand about you. God wants to take that again today, maybe for the 1,000th and first time or maybe for the first time. That's who he is. And what does this grace produce in us? Verse 11, you see, is good news of great joy. In verse 20, it says, the shepherds return glorifying and praising God. There's just joy overflowing in who they were. Now, when we think about joy, we often misunderstand it. We get the the fake Christian joy mindset. I'm just joyful, brother. Praise the Lord. I'm just joyful, right? And then we go live like a jerk, you know, treat, like our, our life doesn't look anything like joy, right? Praise the Lord. I got that joy. Or we confuse joy with our circumstances. That my happiness depends on my happenings. And when our happiness depends on our happenings, we go for the roller coaster ride in life, right? Things are always up and down. You see, joy is not a circumstance. Joy is living in the reality of the good news. Let me say it again, Christmas 2021. Joy is not a circumstance. It's living in the reality of the good news. Joy is knowing that your past and your sins and your status do not disqualify you from knowing God. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, God is no longer holding men's sins against them. Joy is not a circumstance, but knowing that no matter what your circumstance, that God will work all things together for the good of those who love him in Christ Jesus. Joy is, like the shepherd, knowing that no matter what you've done, you can approach the Savior of the world who created the heavens and the earth with incredible confidence. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and help in our time of needs. Joy is knowing that even though you're unqualified, you too can participate in the story of God. You too can participate in an eternal story that will outlast this culture, that will outlast nations, that will outlast rulers. Joy is knowing that we can as messed up, screwed up people because of the grace of God walk in and be a part of that eternal story. Just as these shepherds did. 
They didn't wake up that morning thinking, oh, I'm going to be in the Bible. <laughs> they were like, this is my lot in life. Like, like, life is just hard for us. And maybe their life didn't like dramatically improve societally or their, their position didn't change, but for eternity it did. Because suddenly it probably didn't matter very much their position in society because they had a heavenly position and they were part of a heavenly story. And that's who our God is. Joy is knowing that whether we're rich or poor or whether our position will ever change, that's not the main thing that matters. So for lacking joy today, and I'm not trying to minimize those of us that are going through serious trials, but what I do want to invite us to do is look back on the good news and remind us, remind ourselves of it. Now, the good news, gra- grace is amazing, y'all. Like, it's, it's unmerited favor, right? If you haven't picked that up yet, I've just been trying to load you with good news. If it's so good, why do we resist it? Like some of y'all resist eating kale. And you know it's good, but it doesn't taste good. But joy is good and it tastes good. Or I mean, grace is good and it tastes good, so why do we resist it, right? It's different in nature than kale. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think we can, we can grasp this because the ones we see responding, let me, con- let me contrast the shepherds from the religious elites like the Pharisees or the scribes or even the, uh, the political elites like Herod of this time, although some political elites and wealthy people did respond to the good news of Jesus in those times. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they knew the prophecies of Jesus they even knew, you know, where he'd come. We saw that in the story, the Magi, that, that the scribes knew where Jesus was to come. But in their own self-righteousness and all their own discipline and all their own spirituality, somehow they missed the Savior. You see, they were doing all these things for God, but they completely missed God. Because they were too caught up in themselves and their spirituality and their knowledge of the Torah, and missed Jesus. The political rulers, we talked about this two weeks ago with the story of the Magi and Herod. King Herod was insecure and massively obsessed with his own image and upholding his own kingdom and retaining his own power in this earth. He missed the Savior. Because all he could see was himself. And ultimately, he wanted God to bless his kingdom. He wanted God to bless his plans. And so he, he missed Jesus because Jesus wasn't coming to just bless a worldly kingdom. Jesus was coming to set up a kingdom. Now, I'm thankful to be in a country where we can work hard to be successful and to make money and to save money and give money. 
And at the same time, the nature of God's kingdom is otherworldly. It doesn't fit in a worldly system. The nature of unmerited favor and grace is otherworldly. You see, grace is hard to us because unlike many things in this world, we can't earn it. All you can do is surrender to it. And the more we think we have earned righteousness or that our little kingdom that we can control is what we need, the less we receive grace from God. Commentator Arthur Pig said it like this, grace can neither be bought, earned, or won by culture. If it could be, it would cease to be grace. That's why I believe he went first to the shepherds because they knew they had nothing to give. They knew they had nothing to offer. All they could receive is grace. That doesn't mean it's bad to have things in this world or it's bad to be successful or it's bad to be any of that. But what it means is that all these things out here that we can have or do or earn don't change the fact that apart from Jesus, we ultimately have nothing to offer him. And it's when we get that, whether we're rich in this world or poor, when we understand our need for grace and that ultimately like our soul is at poverty apart from God, when we get that, we will become rich in the grace of God. We will become rich in another kingdom. And so my friends, I believe God wants to pour out his grace on you today. God wants to pour his grace out and each and every one of you in different ways today. God wants to heal hurts. God wants to restore hope. He wants to revive souls. And you see, he does that by teaching us to receive grace, not in our strengths, but oftentimes receiving grace in our greatest places of weakness and failure and shame and honestly filth. I love author Philip Yancey. He said, grace, like water, flows to the lowest parts. You see, for many of us, grace is easy to receive when we're doing well. But in our deepest places of failure, it's hard to let in. God wants grace to go into those parts today. And God, through reminding you that he's a father who adopts unworthy people who were orphaned and chose to be orphaned and chose to live a different way, and then he gives us not only his love, but he shares his kingdom with us. He wants that grace to go into our heart today. I would bet that all of us could use a little more grace today. All of us, one place or another, are probably missing God's grace. Some of us are missing God's grace because we're focused on, 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 on maintaining and upholding our own kingdoms. It doesn't mean we're not responsible. It doesn't mean we're not on top of things. Right? But some of us, we're used to controlling our little, our little world, and that is, that is grace, that is comfort. And, and I relate to that. Like, I, like I'm type A Right? And, and I like things to happen fast, 
and I like things to happen my way, and I like things to go in the order that makes sense to me, and I get mad, and I'll even get mad at God when they don't. I'm like, God, surely you know that this would be the most efficient way to get this done. Right? Like, surely, God, this would just be logical. Why you got to be all cryptic on me? You know, like, just let's go, God. Let's change the world. Ready to go. Like, that's, that's, that makes sense to me. Like, God, I like things up and to the right. Did you get that memo, God? Right? You know? And, and man, I, I miss grace when I'm convinced God should be like me. And that God should just bless my plans in my, king, in, in my little kingdom in the way I think. And so like you, like me, maybe some of you are missing grace because you want God to bless your plans without asking him what his are. Some of us are missing grace because maybe we've been following Jesus for a while and it started out as good news and then somewhere along the way it became burdensome news. That the things we used to do to know God became burdensome and we felt like we had to do them for God. And, and like, I, I get that too, because being a type A person, I love to do things for God. I will be very disciplined for Jesus and intense or whatever, you know? And I just want to remind us that the spiritual disciplines, they are a means to experience and grow into grace not earn grace. They're a means in which we surrender to the goodness of God, not earn it. And we do things for others, not because we earn grace, but because we've experienced grace. And so some of us today, uh, we have missed grace because we're so focused on what we need to do for God and have forgotten the fact that we do those things so we can experience what he's done for us. That was a mouthful. I hope you got that. And some of us were missing grace because we're sitting here thinking, how in the world would God want to give me grace? Like the person next to me, maybe. That person for sure. That person, I don't know about them. But like how would God want to give me grace? <clears throat> I know what I did over the weekend. I know what I did in my past. I know what happened to me in my past. How would God want to give me grace? I get that too. I've, I've struggled with shame a lot of my life. And some of us were missing grace because you've never met Jesus. You haven't had maybe people you've experienced grace from and you've never experienced a God who'd be gracious to you. Maybe you had a picture of God painted in church or religion growing up or in, in your own understanding of God, of, of God as a harsh taskmaster hoping for you to perform and if you perform right, then maybe you'll get to heaven. And that, my friends, is, is actually the opposite of the good news of Jesus. Yes, most, most of the religions of the world believe that we earn our way to heaven, but in God's kingdom, he comes to the shepherds first. He comes to people like you and me, and it's not because of what we've done that gets us into heaven, it's because of what he's done for us. 
And that no matter what you have done, my friends, no matter how big of sins you've committed, no matter how far you feel from God, or even you don't even believe in God, God's not intimidated by that. You see, he came to forgive the sins, not of some people, but of all people. There's no sin that's too big for God to forgive. That's the story of Christmas. So I don't know what you've done or how far you feel from God today, but God's not intimidated. You see, he paid for your sin and my sin on the cross. And today, you can walk out of here with a clean slate. I remember when I did that in 2002. I was on the verge of ending my life because I felt ashamed for all the things that I had done to people and things that had been done for, to me. I went in one end with a plan to end my life and I came out the other end with a plan to live my life for God because you see in the middle I encountered grace. I realized my sins had been forgiven and there's a better story than the story I've been living in. And so my friends, if you need to meet Jesus today, if you wanna be connected to God today, there's nothing you've done that could separate you too far from God. He wants to forgive you today and even right now by calling on the name of Jesus. And when you call upon the name of Jesus and ask him to be your savior and ask him to forgive you, what happens is not only does he wipe your past clean, but he wipes your soul clean and then he puts himself in you and comes to live with you and be with you for the rest of your life and will never leave you or forsake you no matter how bad you screw up. He adopts you into his family. And how you get there is not by trying harder or coming to church more, it's by surrendering and saying, Jesus, I need you. Some of you need to do that today. You see, how did the shepherds respond? They surrendered what they were doing and came to Jesus. They surrendered what they were doing, came to Jesus, and they did it quickly. Verse 15 uh, says, let's go over to Bethlehem. Some translations would say, let's go at once. And I love verse 16. It says, um, it says that it went with haste. You see, the shepherds, they had flocks to tend to. They had stuff to get done. Right? They, they could have even been tending some sheep that were to be temple sacrifices right, for the people to know God. They had important things to do. But they got one thing right, that nothing is as important as life as finding and following Jesus. Nothing in life is as important as finding and following Jesus. Some of us today, we need to encounter grace for the millionth time and some of us for the first time today. I know there's a lot of reasons we could find to not find Jesus today or not follow Jesus or even things we've done that would be excuses for us to say, oh, God's not gonna be good to me. But I wanna say, nothing going on in your life is as important as finding and following Jesus. And we have a good news. That means that nothing going on in your life can keep you from encountering the love of God. And it starts by surrendering to grace. Some of us, we need to do that for the millionth time. Some of us are striving, and we need to quit striving and start thriving. That's a word for some of y'all. You need to quit striving with God and start thriving. You need to quit earning grace and just fall forward into it. 
And some of us today, we need to make that decision for the first time by calling on the name of Jesus. And if that's you, I want to invite you to pray with me a simple prayer by just asking Jesus to forgive your sin and come into your life. It's not the prayer that matters, but it's putting your faith in Christ. So Jesus, you can pray with me, Jesus, I acknowledge that I've gone my own way and I've sinned. But I also believe that you came to the earth to give me grace and to forgive me of my sin. So I say, Jesus, forgive my sin. I put my hope in you today. Save me and forgive me. I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, like I said, it's not praying a prayer that's important, but it's putting your faith in Christ. If you put your faith in Christ today, we, we would love to encourage you, help you know what that means, and to help you walk out in experiencing that goodness and grace, not just today, but every day of your life. Um, so I want to respond by, by surrendering. So if you just want to, just maybe right now, take a moment and just, just surrender before the Lord. You guys can just maybe strum and whatever those places are where you need grace today, let's take them to Jesus. Maybe it's shame, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anxiety. something that disqualifies you in your mind let's take it to Jesus and let's surrender if we have our leader some leaders available to pray on the side if you need prayer for anything at all go get some prayer otherwise let's stand and worship as we surrender